0: Today we're going to be continuing uh, looking at Matthew chapter 5, uh, which we just read from our gospel. And last week we talked about the Beatitudes. Uh, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, blessed are the peacemakers, so on and so forth. And today we look at Jesus' words, You are the salt and the light of the world. And there's already a bit of tension between that phrase, uh, what we heard today, and what we heard last week. Because last week we're told, uh, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble. And we kind of get this impression of, of followers of Jesus being quiet and, and humble and, and at times oppressed. And then today we hear Jesus say, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the earth. And so we're kind of confused. How is it that the meek have any sort of influence or impact on the world around us? Perhaps you feel this on an individual level. You uh, know the the goodness of God. You've experienced the mightiness of his grace in your own life. And then you look around the world and you see all the need that is before you. And you think, how in the world can I have any sort of impact uh, upon those around me? So let's look at this passage today, because I think what we see here is that Jesus still has hope. <laughs> Jesus still has hope for, for us, his people, and for uh, uh, as a community, but also us as individuals. So let's take a look at this passage from Matthew chapter five. So Pliny, uh, he is a Roman magistrate of this time, and he said that there's nothing more useful in the world than salt and sunshine. Sale et sole, which I'm not a big Latin person, but that sounds kind of fun to say. Sale et sole. Light and sun, or salt and sunshine. So, there's two purposes that salt would provide in the ancient world. First, it would make anything edible. Uh, you could put salt on anything. In fact, we, we do this today in our world, right? Like if, if you're handed, uh, some food that's not so great, you immediately reach for the salt and put it on there. Uh, if you have a beer that just doesn't have any flavor in it, what do you do? You sprinkle a little bit of salt of it, uh, on it. If you want to offend my wife, uh, when you come over for dinner, the first thing you do when there's food on the table would be to put salt on the, the on your food. Don't do that. Um, that is bad news, especially if it's steak. You don't put steak seasoning already on a well-prepared steak. Uh, but anyway, this is true in the ancient world, right? Like anything could be made edible with enough salt, right? So uh, it's a bit odd when Jesus says salt could lose its saltiness. Like, that's not really something that, that we think about, because in our day and age, uh, salt is highly refined. You know, it's this uh, almost perfect and pure sodium chloride. In the ancient world, and still in most parts of the world today, salt is is harvested from the land. Sometimes it's, it's evaporated from sea salt or sort of distilled from uh, the earth. And so in that context, it's relatively easy for it to become contaminated by dust or rain or some other sort of element. And at that point, what you have is no longer salt. It's what we call dirt, uh, which is useless. Uh, you just throw it out. You don't use the dirt anymore. So in that sense, we can understand what Jesus says when he says that salt can lose its saltiness. But there's a second purpose for salt, uh, one that I want to kind of hone in on a bit more today. And that is, salt prevents decay. In the age before refrigeration, and again, in most parts of the world today, the way that you help meat keep is you salt it. You you cure it. And if you cure it properly enough, you can keep that meat indefinitely. You can keep it for a very, very long time. So what's the significance of all of this? Well, salt, according to this metaphor is the character of the Christian. It's the flavor of the Christian. And we don't have to turn too far back to see what that character looks like. It's the Beatitudes that we just read about. Followers of Jesus, those who are salty, who have lots of flavor, are meek, they're poor in spirit, they hunger for righteousness, they're pure in heart, they're peacemakers, and they're willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. So you who call yourself Christian, keep your flavor. Keep your saltiness, Jesus says to us. And why? What is the purpose of this flavor of the Christian? Well, it is to prevent the decay of the earth. And make no mistake about it, that's what Jesus is implying here. He's implying that the default condition, the default nature of the earth is rotting meat. That it is decaying. And so it is the purpose of the Christian, then, to season the earth, to to prevent the the decay of our society. So we'll return to this thought here in a moment. And for now, let's turn to the subject of light. Well, Jesus is the light of the world. He tells us this clearly. And it is the central theme, like I said, of Epiphany. We celebrate the light of Christ shining forth across the globe, illuminating our hearts, And by the way, you'll notice there's more and more candles every week, right? And there's going to be more as this season progresses. And I think one of the profound and beautiful mysteries of this passage here is that what Jesus is telling us is that you and I have the joy and the privilege of being incorporated into his mission. So he is the light. Yes, he is the source of all light and life and truth. And we get to participate in that. We get to be incorporated into that. So let's talk about light a little bit more. So light provides illumination. The more light you have, the more aware you are of your surroundings, right? Also, light provides warmth. It provides comfort to you. And as a, a byproduct of that, then, would be safety, right? A lack of light means that you're more anxious about your surroundings. It means that you're not quite sure what's lurking there in the shadows. Here in Minnesota, we... Uh, we, we don't wrestle with darkness in the same way, but this season is, is one in which already this morning I've had several conversations with people of like, I can't wait for springtime to come. I can't wait for summer to come. Like we are desperate for that vitamin D to hit our bodies again. (laughs) We actually are cheerful to one another again. And what happens in the, we're, we're very cheerful here at restoration with one another. I don't mean to imply that we're rude to one another. But in this darkness, there's also an increased risk outside of slipping, of falling. Or, you know, if you live in in certain parts of the city, like succumbing to theft or violence. And these are dangers that are just as real in the ancient world as they are today. Darkness is associated with risk, with violence, with theft. And so Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So you don't need to be a scholar here to figure out what exactly the metaphor of light uh, signifies here in this passage. Jesus tells us, he says, that it's your good works. Your good works are that light which show others the glory and the goodness of God. And by good works, I don't mean just being polite to one another. I think sometimes as Christians we can we can distill good works just to that sort of base base level. And sure, yes, be nice to people. I I don't want to suggest otherwise. But good work is that project that you embark on. It's how you use your free time and your resources. How you use the relationships and the influence that you have in this world. That's your good work. It's the, the decisions you make in terms of what sort of vocation you pursue. Or what kind of excellent work you do in the vocation that you have chosen. Good work is that daily habit that you have of treating your family and your household and those in your neighborhood with goodness. But good work is also, uh, it, also uh, it also includes the words that come out of your mouth. It's the testimony that you bear. It's the way in which you articulate God's work in your life and why you follow him and love him. So these things, your words, your deeds, your habits, your truth-telling... These are your good works, and they increase safety to those around you. That's what you're doing with your good work. You're bringing comfort and warmth to those. You're lowering anxiety by doing your good works before others. You are the light of the world, Jesus tells us. So salt prevents decay. Light provides illumination. So what sort of responsibilities or lessons can we draw from this? Well, I think there's a couple. I'm sure there's more that you could think of on your way home today. But I think one of the things that we can expect from this is to be different. That's one lesson that we can take from this, is that the church is meant to be distinct. It's meant to be separate from the world. It's meant to be different from the world. And that's not a popular opinion. We want to blend in. We we want to have lots of friends, right? But this shows us that our, the church is separate. If the church is salt, then what does that say about the state of the world? Well, it means that society is like rotting flesh. It's like rotting meat, according to this metaphor. It's decaying. It's falling apart. It stinks. If the church is to be light, then that means society is in darkness. That society has no truth or illumination on its own. And it means the light of the gospel. The church is overcome or the, the society is overcome with violence and coldness. So the church ought to be different from the world, I think, is our first lesson that we can drive that we can pull from this. Ours is a life that is shaped by a crucified Messiah. Our values are completely different from the world. Our power structures are different. Our values are different. Our resources are different. The stories we tell are different. In fact, when you and I are most angry at the church, isn't it because she's most similar to the world? Like, that's what enrages us. That's, what's make, that's what makes us upset, right? It's when we see the church behaving in the same way that the world um, behaves. The church ought to use her influence not for securing more power, but she ought to pour herself out in the same way in which Jesus pours himself out. She's not supposed to cover up mistakes. She's not supposed to be silent in the face of injustice. Instead, she ought to be a voice for the voiceless, a home for the homeless a protector, a provider. So, this only, so our anger at the church really only proves our point that the church ought to be separate from the world. Christians spend their money differently. They have a different sexual ethic, don't they? They use their power and their influence differently. They order their time differently. We are different The church, when the church is healthy, she is distinct and alien from the world. And she's able to hinder the process of decay. She's able to provide light into dark places. And so expect, dare I say, strive, shall we, to be different. So I think it's, I don't remember the last time I've shared my own story uh, with the church Uh, When I was a small child, I experienced a tragedy early on in my life. My father uh, took his own life when I was about six years old. And as you can imagine, that was absolutely devastating, to say the least. I I have very many fond memories of him. And so his loss was significant for me. It still impacts me. And even though when I was a kid, I I would not have had the language, well, I, I wouldn't have had the language to describe the way that I was feeling then. But surely, wrapped in darkness, confused, cold, aimless, are ways that would be be accurate descriptions. And now, as an adult, and sort of seeing how wounds can impact uh, us as we grow older, I look back at myself and I think, if I had not have encountered Christ, where would I be? And I truly believe with all my heart that I would have been on a path of decay that things would not have gone well for me. Now, when I was a little bit older, I was invited uh, to go hang out with these church people. And I don't know if you know anything about church people, but they're kind of weird sometimes. Uh, They're very goofy sometimes. They talk weird sometimes. But I was just enchanted by this community. I kept wanting to be a part of it. And I became friends with these people pretty, pretty quickly. And these weren't perfect people. Um, Some of them used to be incarcerated. Uh, Almost all of them came from broken families. Uh, They were recovered addicts. And what I saw there was the love of Christ. I saw uh, just his love on full display. Their hospitality was radical. We could just walk in and out of each other's homes. I would jump into Logan's pool, even if Logan wasn't home. Sometimes we'd take Logan's car. Uh, it, was just, it was just a great, beautiful community there. And it was a community of righteousness. Like we would talk about the things of God. We would study the scriptures. Their parents would open up the Bible to us and teach us from this. We would talk about wisdom and what it was like to pursue the righteousness of God. So do you see what I'm I'm displaying here? This was a salt and light community. This is a community that was different from anything that I had ever encountered my entire life. And they weren't ambiguous about who they were. They were about Jesus. It was in this group that I learned that, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for us. So that we might experience everlasting life, that we would have a a father in heaven, that he would give us a family by his grace, brothers and sisters. This was a salt and light community that forever changed my life. And I've heard enough stories from you all to know that you've experienced similar things, that you have also encountered this kind of community, a salt and light community. So what about restoration? Are we like that? Are we a community that obsesses over righteousness? Not in like a legalistic sort of way, but we, we want to we be a people who are embodied by those Beatitudes. We want to be meek. We want to pursue righteousness. We want to be peacemakers. Is that who we are? Is that what dominates our conversation? Do we delight in the truth of the gospel? That Jesus Christ loves sinners and died for us. Is that what dominates our conversation? It's easy for us, right? When we encounter the the stank of the world and uh, the the stank of of, uh, even the church, it's easy for us to sort of throw our hands into the air in in righteous, sort of pious indignation. But I think what Jesus tells us in this passage is times are going to get hard. Times are going to get challenging. Remain salty. Let your flavor, like be flavorful, right? Let your light shine. May you be a community that is irresistible to sinners. They want to come and be a part of the beauty and the goodness of God. So that is my prayer for us, restoration. That this will be a, a divine place, a thin place, where we can... Experience the the flavors of God here, the flavors of the gospel, the goodness of the gospel, the illumination and the warmth of God here in this place. And why? What sort of incentives are there for us? Well, one, we're called blessed. If you were here last week, we heard that passage over and over again. God says, blessed, blessed, blessed are my people. That means that God knows you and he loves you. He sees you. That's what it means to be blessed, that you have the favor of God resting upon you. But also, we get to enter into the privilege of serving the world around us. And they don't always receive it well. We might not want it. We might be rejected. We might be persecuted. But through this, we identify with Christ, and we are made closer to Him. We get to serve the world. And then finally, we get to experience the glory of God. That's what Jesus says in this passage. He says, when your light shines, God is glorified in this. And what more beautiful, honorable thing could we be a part of than to behold the glory of God? So may we be a salt and light community restoration, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of the world around us, for the glory of God. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus Christ you are the crucified Messiah you are separate from anything that this world has ever known or seen Lord may we truly be your people may your light shine through us Lord and where we are in error Lord refine us purify us Lord reform us help us Lord to shed those things which hinder us from being full of the flavor of your goodness Lord, may we be shaped more into your likeness, that we might radiate the beauty of your gospel to a lost and broken world. We ask this, Christ, in your name and for your glory. Amen.